Welcome back to The Future Will Not Be Podcast, a bi-weekly experimental conversation about future shock. This is the idea that technology and automation and medical advances are moving so quickly. They're accelerating so much in the modern era that they're causing problems. They're causing, uh, they're, they're, they're creating challenges for our society, our civilization, and the individuals that live in it. And these are challenges that are new for our generation and certainly for our children's generation. Uh, I am joined, as always, by my co-hosts in order of those who can quote the most lines from Star Trek Deep Space Nine, hmm. Alex Fitzpatrick. That's a good guess, yes. And then second on that list, Evan Engel. Uh, I think you and I have to be tied for last here. Right. I, I'm assuming you could at least quote one or two. No. No, not at all. Okay, so then we are tied for last. I recently rewatched the entire series, so I'm fresh with with DS9 now. Okay, good. Then I was then I was correct. Uh, yeah. My name is Matt Silverman, and, and and just to be clear, I have nothing against Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. I and I, I enjoyed it when it was on television. I, I am just not a Trekkie, and and therefore I cannot uh, I cannot really quote verbatim anything from the show. Sure, you're missing out on some of the best Worf moments. <laughs> I'll say that right now. <laughs> Right, because he was on the Enterprise, but then uh, pops into DS9 for what? Like, hanging out? No, he pops in, I think, uh, season three, which is when DS9 gets good. The first two seasons are a total slog. Okay. Uh, but I think seasons one and two, if I remember right, are when TNG and DS9 were still like kind of running concurrently. And then season three, the show kind of found its voice and came into its own um, and um, was also the only Trek on the air at that time. And, really, and that's when... Um, Worf's character pops in because it's like post first contact I guess or no pre first contact but post uh, generations um, and he becomes a main character for the rest of the show got it got it okay yeah Fitz who can you tell us what is the worst cameo in in Deep Space Nine like who has like uh, the most Jason forced... Alexander in Star Trek Voyager <laughs> oh that's right <laughs> was the thing really so yeah uh, he played a villain is... as George Costanza <laughs> <laughs> What's with the replicator? I just, I'm just trying to get some coffee. Oh boy, that's bad. That's really bad. I think you're banned from impressions for the rest of the show. <laughs> you just punch your ticket. Um, no, he played like a, a monster of the week kind of villain type character on DS9, an alien. So he huh. was all, you know, he got the the face makeup and all that, but uh, not a good episode. Not a good character. <laughs> Well, today's episode is not about Star Trek Deep Space Nine as much as I would like it to be. Uh, according to my notes, today's episode is about Academy Award winning actor Gene Hackman, which oh. is confusing because like he's a he's a great actor. But, you know, he's an older gentleman. I, I don't know how much more time into the future he has. I'm not sure how Gene Hackman is going to be affecting the future of civilization. I'm just going to say it. I so you're I... doing Gene Hacking. Gene Hacking. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Matt. Yeah, I no, think... that, okay, that makes a lot of I mean, there's nothing wrong with, like, you know, I'm sure your research gave you some Royal Tenenbaums. It gave you some Superman. Maybe you got some uh, Crimson Tide in there. So uh, not not a wasted few hours you spent getting ready for this show by any means no uh, yeah but i'm i'm woefully unprepared i know nothing about gene modification oh well s sorry because that's that's what we're talking about today it's not it's not okay, yeah cool. 
Yeah. All right. Uh, I guess I will. I'll just sit on the sidelines. You, you guys can talk. <laughs> if you need any Superman references, I'm I'm ready. What was that's the... true? Always, really. That has nothing to do with any particular <laughs> thing that we're doing today. Um. So, has Gene Hackman ever been in a movie about genetics or biology? Has there? Has he this ever? Is... He was sadly missed for Gattaca, and mm-hmm. you know that's a that's yeah. a slight that from which we'll never recover as a society. There's really only um, two Gene Hackman sci-fi films that I can name. Wasn't there a Superman movie though about like? genetically making a new supervillain or something yes they i guess it's a sort of bizarro story right they send superman's hair to the sun and they make sort of like a solar powered superman yeah which i one can't was tell it? It if you i can't tell if you made that up or not no, that's no, true. I don't real. Know. that's true okay. that's totally yeah. real yeah and they yeah. fight on the surface of the moon yeah 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 this which one was, superman was that three? three i think yeah yeah um this is why i don't care for comic book book comic books and comic book uh movies and and such because that that plot you just described is stupid (laughs) but but it's Ah. you got yeah no that was superman 4 the quest for peace here's the storyline uh arc villain lex luther determined to make the world safe for nuclear arms merchants creates a new being to challenge the man of steel the radiation charged nuclear man wow (laughs) That's right. That's Look out, right. radioactive man. <laughs> so, uh, so in non-Superman news, or perhaps in Superman news, so <laughs> oh, 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 Gene, yeah, Gene Hacking, and yes. and just yes. just sort of genetic genetic advancements in general. This is something I'm glad we're talking about this because this is something that uh, that I feel like doesn't get a lot of attention. Like I feel like the advances in genetics and in, and in bioengineering. Uh, are are pretty significant, or or from from the conversations I've had with people, they sound they sound very significant. Uh, but it, but it's not when we talk about technology and technological change, it's it's sort of lower down the list, right? We think about mm-hmm. communications and transportation and these sorts of things. We don't really talk about biology all that much. Um, but in in some conversations I've had this year, uh, it it comes up quite a bit, and I'm particularly interested, Matt, to hear. Uh, as as a parent, as the only parent on this podcast, and somebody who's who's talked to to OBGYNs and all these sorts of people, I'd, I'd be curious to hear like what the sort like what impact these technological advancements advancements have had on on bringing children into the world. Because it it seems to me that that's probably some place where where you, these conversations probably have taken place. Yeah, I mean, I would say there's a lot of child child rearing and child bearing discussion to have and i think we're about to jump into that um as the parent of as the grateful parent of two very healthy children with no genetic issues or abnormalities uh, very thankful for that the only interesting thing that occurred uh when my wife was pregnant was that we were the beneficiaries of a, a more recent advancement which was i, I might i'm probably going to be messing this up but it was basically like Five ten years ago, in order to determine the genetic health of a baby or of a fetus, you would have to wait a certain amount of time and perhaps draw blood or or do do something that was more invasive or complicated. And I believe very early on, perhaps within weeks of a pregnancy, they could like nip out a little amniotic fluid and run the whole genome and be like, "Yep, all good." Hmm. And and that was that. And it was a it, we understood it to be a very early and new thing that determined with certainty because it's literally looking at the dna that all was good and if something was not good 
it would be early enough in the pregnancy to make better medical decisions about the not goodness of that situation, which was just we, we sort of looked at that and said, wow, it is awesome to be alive in 20, you know, this was 2013, I guess, when when our daughter was born. So so that was cool. Big fan. Yeah, I mean, I'm Evan, to your point earlier, like, why don't we spend enough time talking about this? Like, I feel like it's certainly, um, you know, I, I, I follow some people who follow these updates closely and follow the space closely. And every once in a while, you'll hear, like, some crazy study or something was done to, like, rats or whatever lab animal um, where they use CRISPR to change a whole thing. And uh, a lot of this is happening in China, where I guess the regulations are a little less tight. So that's kind of why. Um, but I, I think you don't see a lot of people freaking out uh, about it on a daily basis because we're not at the point yet where like it's being done to humans at a level that like you know it feels like a medical treatment for some diseases is how it's being approached rather than like i feel like i want a third arm so i'm gonna go ahead and do that you know yeah, yeah. it's it's interesting because in the the folks that i've talked to about this one thing that that keeps coming up and that i keep hearing from people is that the costs uh, of of these of of sequencing a genome or or writing artificial DNA or or any of these things uh, have fallen dramatically, right? Where where you go back when they when they did the the first human genome project through the Department of Energy, and I think that was uh, and and I I'm, I should have this number, but I think it was something like a billion dollar project, right? It was it was some outlandish number that that only a government or or these days a corporation could really afford. Uh, but now the costs of that have fallen so much that I think it, I think it costs a thousand dollars or maybe ten thousand dollars to to sequence a genome. It's it's it, and you know I mean it, it's pennies on the dollar for what it was before, um, and and so the ability to do that right you, you're going to be able to see a lot of like sort of custom custom genetic uh, work maybe custom even genetic modification I think uh, which which is obviously. Uh, I mean, a, a huge leap from from where we are right now. Yeah, I'd yeah. like to break this discussion uh, maybe into three parts. But uh, so, and I'll lay these out and, and jump into any part that you like. One is we are modifying lots of things, especially things that we eat. Yep. And uh, personally, I'm all for it. I think the the I hate GMOs thing is silly because for thousands of years we have been breeding food and animals to get the best uh, combination of genes to make things healthier, tastier, and more resistant to um, to diseases, and also breeding animals to look and feel the way we want them to, uh, dogs and and other uh, domesticated animals, uh, cows, etc. Um, and, and that doing this in a lab is simply an accelerated version of that and an inevitable version of that. And um, so there's that. And so there is this there is this contingent of backlash against this idea that eating a tomato that has a disease resistant gene in it is somehow unnatural. But eating a tomato that was not modified is somehow purer or better. And when we need to feed 8 billion people in a little while on the planet Earth, I think we're going to need to be modifying lots of genes to make sure our food production and and whatnot and, and growing food and meat and other things in laboratories is going to be absolutely essential for sustaining human populations. So th- that's one piece of it. And I think I think that this that chapter gives us an early peek into the freakout that is about to happen 
when we talk about modifying um, humans and other perhaps other animals, uh, you know, in a lab. And then the, then then the split part of the second half is, you know, I think Evan, you said it is like when this comes to us as medicine, and it, it truly is, you know, I. I, I I have a hunch that gene modification is the key to perhaps solving all disease and perhaps even like solving aging and like perhaps putting us on the road to extreme longevity, perhaps immortality. And and I think we're going to talk about that in a future episode, but I'm fascinated by this race of like, will medicine make us uh, will gene hacking make us immortal first or will the singularity make us immortal first? It's kind of this race for like the biological version versus the technological version. That fascinates me. I'm not sure which horse to bet on there. Uh, but then beyond that, I, I think most people in society are like cure every disease and fix every problem that any human could possibly have. We're on board. Got it. Good. Where people start to freak is this idea of modifying um, uh, current humans or potential humans in the form of zygotes and fetuses, where if there is an undesirable thing like a propensity for cancer, we can just just click it out. And that's awesome. I would be in favor of that. But if we're deciding what color hair and eyes and all that other stuff, obviously more complicated. And, and I'm wondering... You know, I don't think we can have one without the, without the other. So I am of the mind that curing all diseases forever is worth it. Uh, when we and figuring out the ethics around the other stuff is is just a, a a side battle that just has to happen in order to get to the next level of humanity. Yeah, I mean, I think it'll be one of the great ethics debates that consumes our time, right? Like, where do you go in terms of you know when it comes down to Maybe gene hacking helps us solve some terrible diseases, and like you, I think it will as well, uh, or at least I hope it will. Um, but then, it, you know, I think that there's such a difference between um, you have this thing, and here's this potential treatment that just happens to come in the form of, you know, CRISPR or gene sequencing or whatever it might be, um, versus, you know, you're oh, you're having a child, we can use this technology this medical technology to predetermine certain characteristics about that child which starts to feel less like curing disease and more like playing god and somehow um almost like cheating in a video game right where like you know you can set your kids up for certain things that they might not have naturally and you know assuredly the these technologies will come to the rich before they come to the middle class and poor you know if they ever do um, so you're going to see further stratification. Like, I, I really do foresee a world where you get, if this becomes a thing, you know, you get the upper class being able to make their kids, you know, better, smarter, more productive. Uh, and that just furthers sort of class-based stratification, right? I think that's a good point because I, I want to go back to, to the first thing Matt Matt brought up. and, I, and But I think class stratification is going to play into it. I and mean, this, is, this is when we talk about food and, and genetically modified food. Uh, because this is this is a debate now that's gone been going on feels like about fifteen years, right? Um, and and I and I think Matt, I think I'm, I largely agree with you on most of that, right? I, I I think we've we've genetically modified food for centuries by by cutting this apple the seed of this apple tree together with the seed of this apple tree, and you you, you physically mm-hmm. you put the seeds together and and you've spliced you've, you've genetically modified 
these seats. Uh, on that point, I, I, I believe that all apples are actually like any apple that you were to buy in a, in a grocery store is a clone, and that's of a of an original apple or 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 lineage of apples. I found that fascinating, and this has nothing to do with laboratories. This is just how apples are produced for mass consumption. They are cloned through the process you just described, but nobody has a problem with that because they probably don't know it or understand it. Um, but it has been happening for hundreds of years, as you as you explained. Yeah, and and so I think that the, what the real issue with genetically mod with genetic modification as as it regards food is not necessarily that that we're going to create some some cancerous apple that's going to kill us. I I think what one of the real issues with it is is to whom is this technology available, right? The right. the technology of of spl- of cutting apple seeds together and putting them together has been has been available to every farmer since the dawn of man, or so, or at least since the first guy figured it out, first person figured it mm-hmm. out rather. Um, and and so when we talk about GMOs, it's not necessarily, or at least for me, it's not necessarily a concern over what they're going to create. It's just a, a concern over who has power over our food supply and over the future of our food supply. Are these tools that yep. are that are available to any any farmer? Or are these tools that are available to to a, a sort of a corporate class of farmers? And 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 what then happens? What what effects does that have? And, and does that have the potential? I would say to to exacerbate. Uh, the sort of class stratification that that Fitz touched on. This is the thread throughout almost every one of our episodes of like iPhones and computers are awesome, but they are made by a corporation. So while they give us the freedom, we are still shackled to the whims and uh, direction of the corporation. GMOs are awesome because they can feed the whole world, but uh, they're made by Monsanto. So we have to figure out how to deal with that corporation or corporations. And then getting really dark and scary of like if corporations are the ones offering genetic modification of humans to yes make us disease free and more uh productive or smarter or better looking that is cool but also we are then beholden to whatever entity offers that service there's always like the medium future where it's really bad and the middle and po- middle class and poor can't afford the awesome stuff and then there's the super far future where none of that matters because you know for for three dollars you can update your genes at a you know vending machine i'm making silly sure, sci-fi but, yeah. stupidity here but you know what i mean like how far in the future are we are we looking uh, for this kind of stuff i mean yeah i think it's going to come slowly and then suddenly all at once right like we're already seeing some successful experiments we're already seeing you know like you guys already pointed out the sort of use of it in food um but we're seeing it in terms of medical development as well um so i think we're really on the it, it feels like that sort of thing that we're just on the cusp of Uh, a thing becoming huge where you hear kind of you know mummers and whispers and all of a sudden it's going to be like oh whoa we just like cured some you know previously thought incurable disease using this new technique Um, i think that's going to be sort of the watershed moment and it feels like that's closer than than you might think Um, i wonder if the big moment the big boom will come from that will be the positive one of like we cured this disease isn't gene therapy amazing that will be a a a good foot to set out on if you are in this field or you aspire to to do this and perhaps the scarier foot is uh china just cloned a human they did it yeah now what yeah 
Totally. And like I said before, you know, it's it's a place like that that has fewer regulations about this kind of work that I think is, the, the you know, where the more uh, both intriguing but also potentially very disconcerting stuff is going to come from. So, you know, for that. So reason. let me ask you guys this question, because because Matt brought up earlier the idea of of creating creating uh, like like an immunity to cancer. And and I think we we would all be uh, in favor of that. Uh but but I wonder about this: is, is cancer one of the, one of the things that that causes cancer is, is it's it's environmental, right? We we have known carcinogens that we that we put into into our hair and and makeup and shampoo and food and all these things, and those have effects beyond humanity. So if we were to engineer a, a, an immunity to, to cancer in the next wave of humans, you know those 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 carcinogens that we would still be putting out, do we have a responsibility to, to either cease production of those, uh, which has proven to be very hard so far, or or do we have a responsibility to genetically engineer every other life form so that it's also immune to cancer? If we if we had had uh, uh, genetic engineering back in the Middle Ages, would we have would we have not taken care of the rat problem in Europe, right? If the, if the Black Plague, if we figured out that we could just genetically engineer a cure to the Black Plague, would we have not worried about all the rats running around? Well, here's like, I think what you're getting at, what you're scratching at is, is another interesting question that's related is, you know, if you can cure the diseases, I think you're, this is basically what you're laying out, but let me rephrase it just to make sure I've got it right. Um, you know, if you can cure some of the diseases that are caused by environmental factors, maybe we stop caring about the pollution yeah. and the smog and the whatnot that we're putting into the air because we they no longer make us sick, even if they still, you know, cause serious problems in terms of, uh, you know, other species, but also just like quality of life yeah. stuff, right? Yeah. And then, and right, do we do we get into a loop where we're we're genetically engineering humanity, so it's not affected by by that those pollutants? Then we genetically engineer food, so it's not you know. And, and meanwhile, everybody that that's not of of benefit to humans, the rest of the planet just sort of goes away. You're you're describing. I never thought about in those terms, and you're describing exactly what is currently happening with uh, GMOs. Which again, like GMOs are great. There's nothing wrong with GMOs, but if you're engineering something to be resistant to pesticide then you just spray a bunch more pesticide on it to kill all the stuff and now your 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 genetically modified tomato is just fine but it's covered in pesticide and that's that's a bad yeah. news so uh that's a side effect of that cycle that you're just describing and applying it to all of humanity like that i did not think of that and that's in that's pretty bad bad stuff yeah uh, one interesting thing that i was thinking about matt when you laid out the gmo stuff um was like think about it like this you know disease as much as it sucks and we hate it um it does serve a somewhat you know species useful service in that it, it's a population limiter right? right um and so if you don't have unlimited resources to fuel crazy population growth that you know it can be you know there there is something there right um but at the same time if you've got gmos that are helping us on one hand you've got um, GMOs to help us feed the population. On the other hand, if you've got you know genetic modification being used um, to sort of create or um, cure a bunch of diseases, you're going to have more people and you're going to have a bigger population. So maybe it's sort of like the uh, a, a cause of and solution to the same problem. And right. I think that's kind of an interesting and a unique thing to to think about in these regards. Yep, a vicious loop. I don't think we even need to uh you know modify human dna to have that problem because obviously the population is only getting bigger 
uh, and we are only curing diseases. We are not really succumbing to, to there, I'm sure there are new diseases and new problems facing human health, but we are solving them faster than they are afflicting us. I would, I would argue. So overpopulation is already happening, uh, whether we modify the human genome or not. No doubt. Well, let's get into, I'd like to talk more about um, the sort of idea that we laid out earlier of like pre-selecting, uh, it feels like the ultimate sort of end of where we're going with, uh, you know, gene science is the ability to sort of pre-select traits and characteristics for your offspring, right? Yes. That feels like the natural spot. So like, let me ask you guys, like, just a simple question, would you do it? I mean, this is, man. I mean, of course, who who wouldn't want want what's best for the kid? And they say we can make your kid, you know, six inches taller. You'd say, oh, sure. Like, of course, I want my kid to be six inches taller. What kind of parent would would confine their kid or consign their kids rather to the to the the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune? But but at the same time, like like there there is something uh, it it feels it it feels like something other than human right to to say yes, to say exactly. that that my kid was designed and and, and i should say and, I, and and i'm curious matt it, it sounds like it, it didn't come your way but but i to some degree i i understand this is already happening i well uh, please elaborate I, i'm not sure the, the, what services are out there in this regard? The, the impression I've gotten from from talking to some other some other parents is that is that in conversations they had through the through the process that that some of these options were available to them things like like screening for eye color and this sorts of stuff. I, I well, so to my knowledge, uh, you can you can see what what what's in the mix. Like you you can determine the eye color from that amniotic. Uh, uh, test or whatever, you but I don't influence. know that you can change okay. it. But perhaps, like, I don't see it being that crazy to say if you're doing some sort of in vitro fertilization to take, you know, the two gametes and say, well, if you mix, if we know from the sequencing that if you mix these gametes and that and this one, you're going to get this combination. You know, what do I know? I don't know if that's even possible. It doesn't sound crazy. Um, and that's not necessarily like going into a fetus and mixing stuff up. That's just taking two uh, you know making two choices based on available materials and combining the best materials which you know is just in a it's just a uh, a more sophisticated form of breeding for lack of a better term which sounds terrible in human terms but it's like you know if you want the best offspring like make sure two healthy adults with you know who are tall and smart get married, you're going to have tall and smart kids. Like that's just, that's just human breeding in, in some sense. Right. So Fitz, we, we, we didn't turn the question around on you. Where, where do you stand on this? I think where I'm at now. And I mean, ask me again when I start to have kids and like, you know, who knows what I'll, what I'll feel like then. But I think, I think the thing now is like, I would certainly, I wouldn't hate the option to um, try to isolate and remove some of the bad stuff that's in my, you know, both of our respective lineages. Mm -hmm. Um, you know certain uh predilections towards um mental health disorders uh i've got alcoholism sure. on my side um you know things like that which you know um think of that the latter hasn't sort of you know activated in me or doesn't seem to be present in me but you know i'd hate for that to show up in, in one of my yep. kids right um so like to get rid of that would be nice but then i think like you know 
there comes a, there, I think there's some difference between trying to look looking at like what sort of negative things are in your or like potentially in your um, things that you're passed down to your offspring versus selecting for things that weren't there to begin with. So like if I like I'm of average height, but if I want my kid to be a baller, um, <laughs> you know, I, I could pre-select for, you know, I'd like this kid to be six, seven. Uh, you know, maybe that'll be an option one day, right, but I don't right. think uh, so, I would do that. Right. All right. This this is fascinating to me. So two two thoughts here. One is that it, it when you curing diseases, we all seem to agree as a society, like let's cure those diseases. But then even saying removing predilections for depression or alcoholism still feels okay. It's a little bit up. It's a, it's creeping up on the line, but it still feels yep. cool. Uh, you wouldn't blame, you wouldn't fault someone for doing that. But then when you're talking about enhancing that automatically feels icky because there is something about our, I don't know if it's innate in humans or is it something about our society that's like, no, we are all born equal. And then we do our best as our best human selves to be the best we can after being born equal. And like, that's nonsense like we're not all born with equal traits and and abilities some people are just born taller and smarter and more attractive than other people like that is just that is just the fact of 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 life so what is fascinating about alex's answer is like i he wouldn't choose to make his kids taller but what if what if i frame the question this way we're only using your dna we're not taking dna from any other lineage or any other person we're so if 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 your dna caps out at um you know five foot ten between you and your wife like there is no possible way that your child could be more than that then you, that is not an option you can't have a six five kid it's not on the table, but you could choose the, the 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 T's and the G's or whatever in the DNA to maximize the potential of your existing DNA. We're just choosing the the sperm and the egg that maximize those potentials. Is that as icky? I don't know. I don't think so. It it does posit like a kind of an interesting situation a few generations down where like if that just becomes the norm, then like everybody becomes the fullest and you know quote unquote best expression of their potential dna combinations mm -hmm. right um and so you get uh you sort of start to move towards that like weird superhuman almost third reiki kind of thing right right that's kind of freaky and weird right um to think about but yeah i mean i think that that's sort of the ultimate expression of that um which is is strange but i mean you know if if you're just sort of trying to goose the numbers a little bit and like say you know all the stuff like you like you said it's it's potentially there in the dna we just want we just want the best possible outcomes to express themselves um i think that's kind of interesting like yeah. if you left it to chance there is a one in ten thousand chance you'll get this result anyway we're just going to make sure it it definitely happens right the, the, it, that on itself seems like kind of okay but it's the generational issue you're essentially like you said you're you know like we've been breeding dogs this way for a long time, and like there are a lot of purebred dogs that are not no. in good shape. Like they are not, yeah. they yeah. are not a good. Yeah. It's not a good situation. No. Get a mutt. Yeah, rescue a rescue mutt. Rescue a mutt. Is we're on right. 
team rescue but, i think is so, where we're at so yeah. i wonder uh, right, so i i don't know i have a, I have a ton of questions here but but and also matt I, I think i mean i think you're right like if it's if it's a numbers thing i mean i guess all of this is is sort of a, a statistics problem right like gene editing is mm-hmm. uh, i i think what what we're talking about is largely not uh in contradiction with your first example Right. I, I think a lot of the things that, that they do when they go in there or, or that we talk about doing are not adding in separate DNA or, or doing any of these things. I think it is just flipping different switches in, in the existing things mm-hmm. so that you get that one in 10,000 or one in 100,000 so that there could be a six, seven Fitzpatrick as, as crazy as it sounds. <laughs> Finally, the Fitzpatrick will once again run the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time since you had true Irish representation. Is there... Is there part of the reason that that this feels so icky though like is is this an american thing is, is yeah i'm wondering there's, the there's same an egalitarian thing. aspect yeah. to america you, we all come here and we and even though we all don't start uh, uh on first base we 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 still like to think we do and 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 there still is to some degree a belief in public schools and public education as sort of the great equalizer like, is that what's at jeopardy with this? Does does this completely undo that last vestige of, of egalitarianism? Yeah. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I, I guess I never answered the question for myself personally. And, yeah, and my yeah. answer is that I would not do it, but mostly because no one else is doing it. And so what I think I, I think where we're headed in the conversation here is that when society has this fundamental paradigm shift about um, genetics and we kind of acknowledge as a society that like if we can just fix our very broken and diseased and flawed evolutionary DNA and like really get control of that and we all get past the ickiness of it, then you ask me three generations from now and, and I'll be like, yeah, of course. Like we're all doing it. It's just the norm in the way that like, of course I'm getting my kids vaccinated because if they didn't, they would be at risk of dying. And and that's just an obvious thing. And using that same anal- analogy, there will be lots of people who will be very adamantly against this practice, even though it becomes mainstream and normal. Um, and that will be the culture war of its time, I'm sure. But I guess I'm saying we, this is, well, what do you guys think about this? I think this is inevitable. So it's more of a question of like, when are we going to get over it? How long will it take society to get over it so that we can be the best humans we can be? Or is it not inevitable? Could we as a uh, as a world or as a government say, nope, we're going au natural and there are laws that say we're always going to be natural. As we've discussed on a previous episode, technology does not stop. It does not wait. No. It does not yeah. bow and kowtow to laws and human uh, feelings. So I think this is happening. I mean, it sounds like it's kind of like AirPods, right? Where like the first couple of guys you see <laughs> on the subway wearing AirPods, you're like, look at those dumb guys wearing those AirPods. They're terrible. And suddenly everybody's wearing AirPods. It's like, all right, I guess I'll get some AirPods. Right. You know? Perfect analogy. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> um, no, and I, I think like, I think it is inevitable, but I think, you know, we've already sort of addressed the, the bull in the China shop a little bit, which is China, where like, <laughs> you know, the, the regulation there is just going to be less tight and less severe no matter what we do here. Uh, and then it becomes like a national security thing. It becomes, uh, you know, the missile gap of our time, mm-hmm. right? Where mm-hmm. like, if we can't compete 
with another country on a genetic level, um, that's that's a freaky and weird and bad thing, right? Yeah. So like as a national security crisis, like that could be a serious problem that would sort of push us, even if we didn't necessarily want to so much, uh, could push us into the realm of like, well, I guess we're doing this. Again, it's it's there's still concerns over over to whom is this available like like who gets to have a superhuman child and and then do we rich, have this rich sort people of, yeah we know well, the answer <laughs> we could be concerned right. this is definitely happening and it will definitely be a class war it'll be a war of nations and it'll be a war of class as all technology ends up being right so so think about that i mean i mean you could argue that that maybe all of our social institutions or at least a good chunk of our social institutions exist to determine who gets to what what sort of genetic combinations we get to make right you could argue that that churches and that social clubs and that that who gets to go to the hamptons and and all this sorts of stuff are all ways of screening who or, or at least for the last few centuries have been ways of screening who gets to breed together right and mm-hmm. so so when you and and look at the results that that the the that that's with the best social screening that that the rich people can muster and even that has produced some of the people that that the, I mean we can all think of of some really dumb rich people like <laughs> that is that's so so imagine I don't the guy know. who invented the slap chop. <laughs> sure, that's the one on everyone's mind. So, sure, that's where I go. I, I, you know, I don't know. It's, it's you take you take that same class of people and you give them the ability to actually create superhumans, right. um, but you but you maintain that same that same level of of social removal and social stratification that is that has created these sort of uh, uh, completely. Uh, nihilistic <laughs> this like nihilistic way of doing business and this this extractive I, I don't know i just like i i am terrified to imagine a wealthy class that can genetically engineer its offspring yeah it would be interesting if the, there was like set up in a way that i don't know like when i say set up who would do this i don't know but just like hypothetically it would be interesting if there was a world where like you know everybody every parent gets like 10 points to allocate oh, as you see fit. Right. Almost as if you're like starting a character in an RPG, yeah. right? Where like God. you can say, okay, plus two to agility, plus three to, you know, charisma or whatever. And then you could just sort of give boosts in, in certain directions or you could just put it all in one pot or like whatever, right? Well, but like, you know, you get some you know, sense of control without going like full superhuman or whatever. Well, we're going to have that, but it's it's money. Right, yeah. like these genes, yeah. these genes are all being patented, and it's it's. You can imagine that the really desirable ones are going to be more expensive than others. God, it's like ordering a smoothie. <laughs> yeah, I want the protein powder and the. Give me the espresso shot in there. I get weird smoothies, guys. <laughs> uh, a, a tiny shred of optimism, and I'm not saying that I expect this to happen, but perhaps this is a tiny shred of of uh, of, of hope of what this could be um perhaps it is akin to it is the next level of public education now we all know public education does not serve every child and person equally right lol but it is supposed to and it is designed as best as currently could be maybe to try to do that so in essence that point system you just described 
uh, is regulated or funded or overseen by a government, be it a, na a nation state or a world government that says, hey, every child deserves to have an education, be vaccinated and also get this like 10 points of gene therapy. And if you're super rich, I guess you could make a super duper cyborg human if you want. But everyone gets the baseline because that's the new normal now. It is some sort of baseline medical program where you pop out and, you know, all your diseases are cured and you get you get super eyesight, you know, day one. Um, that could it doesn't really solve the class issue just the same way that. We give free education to everyone in our country, but that clearly does not solve our class issue. Yeah. But at least it's some baseline that is sort of government oversight. I I don't know. It's pie in the sky. I mean, the thing the thing when I when I search for optimism in this scenario, the thing that that I land on is that any technology, not any technology, but but the technological trends on this, the reason it's becoming available to the rich is because it's becoming available at all, right? The, the mm -hmm. uh, a generation ago, this was, this cost a billion dollars and it doesn't anymore. Um, and so, so if that trend continues and, and it seems like it will, then it's possible that, that you could see this more widely available and you could see DIY gene editing, although that's kind of terrifying too. Uh, but, but you, that, that this might not be the province of, of a wealthy class that said, uh, you know, given, given the kinds of abilities that this could, could create, uh, I, I mean, you could it, perhaps, perhaps a, a one or two generation head start is all it takes to, to create a race of humans that's just completely divorced from everybody else. God, what if the superhuman teens take over? Oh. It's like you know those those dang millennials, but but also they're very powerful and strong. Oh. And like all and their it's like Lord of the Flies, but they have all these weird Snapchat trends where they like blink to each other very quickly in like <laughs> in like Morse code, and we just like cannot read it. Applebee's is definitely doomed because not only do they don't care for it, they don't even need to eat. <laughs> Oh, that was, oh, stupid super millennials <laughs> killing Applebee's. Uh, you, you, uh, your, your DIY discussion made me think about the internet and sort of this idea that like if anyone can modify at home or in, in a very yeah. cheap way, we'd all be swapping cool recipes over the internet in the way that like we kind of sort of are and will be swapping 3d printed stuff and we make stuff on etsy and you don't have to go to walmart because you can get cool stuff on etsy and amazon and, and you just get it via the internet uh and if i could print out a lamp at home because it was so easy to own a 3d printer then i would just do that and it would be super custom exactly the way i want and if i could just print my own jeans at home then i would do that and yeah. maybe that's the future community uh community gene building uh, that's cool i love the internet for that yeah yeah i think my my reason i mean we guys are talking about uh stuff to be optimistic about which is a nice thing and maybe a segment that we should uh always <laughs> aim for i think we've been doing that kind of organically but like maybe a thing to to do towards the end of each episode uh very specifically you could like but, invite um, the kids back into the room and like <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> here's when it gets less grim. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I think like we've talked about it throughout the episode, um, especially up top. But the idea that like this could be a solve for some of our more intractable diseases and conditions um, that are, you know, cures seem f- a far away off. And even if we're treating things, we're not really curing things. Um, and that I think is an inherently good thing. Um, you know, just so many terrible illnesses out there that uh, we should really get rid of as a society. Um, so that's that's my reason for optimism here. And I think that I really do think that um, this is the sort of thing that we're not talking about it as a society, as a society much now. But as it becomes more real, I think we'll have serious conversations about, uh, you know, containing the X-Men and, and whatnot. <laughs> Well, we started with Superman, ended with X-Men. That's a pretty pretty good uh, loop, I would say. That's like one of my, you know, pre-bedtime routines. You start mm-hmm. with little Superman, you move to X-Men, mm-hmm. and you see what your dreams do. <laughs> Th- those are not in the same... No, they are DC and Marvel, correct? That's right. Got yeah, it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure people are going to yell at me about that uh, in yeah, DC, but matter. sure. They've had crossovers, I'm sure. I, I don't think so. No, Superdog might be an actual official X-Men. There was a Superman Spider-Man issue really, really early on. Oh yeah, okay. Like back in the '60s, yeah. Okay, well before before oh. they got all corp- corporate and territorial. I yeah, imagine. yeah, I suppose so. I don't want to. I don't want to get too lofty here, but I, I, I think we solved it. <laughs> As we always do. As we always do. You've been listening to the Future Will Not Be podcast. It's an existential philosophical conversation about Future Shock, and we would like to include you in that conversation. We would like you to email us at thefuturewillnotbepodcast at gmail.com. Tell us what you think of any of these episodes. Let us know what we should cover in a future episode. We're, we're not experts in this stuff, but we like to think about it. We like to read about it. We like to talk about it. If you like to think about it too, uh, give us a shout. Thefuturewillnotbepodcast.com is where you can get these episodes, but y- you don't have to listen you don't have to sit at your computer and listen in, in a in a web browser. You don't you don't have to go to http colon backslash backslash the future will not be podcast.com. You can listen to the show in any app that transmits podcasts. An iPhone, for what? example. Any app? Any app. You could listen Amazing. to this show on on a Wii or a Wii U, I think. There's probably a podcast app where you could listen to it. I'm assuming. Gotta fire up that Wii U. Can I listen to this on an Apple Watch? I don't see why not. Wow. I'm recording it on an Apple Watch right now. Now <laughs> <laughs> you can tell. So listen wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Subscribe if you're enjoying it. Let us know what you think. Email, website, but you can also tweet at us. You can definitely tweet at two of us. I, Matt, I'm on Twitter. Evan's on Twitter. I I I am I misremembering. I I I'm friends with Alex on Facebook. I I don't see him on Twitter that often. Alex, do you have Twitter? I've been on Tumblr for so Got long, it. and like <laughs> I confused. There's just them not often. that much happening there anymore. So <laughs> mm-hmm. I felt like I heard I heard everybody finally. I'm like the last guy left in the bar. Like I finally heard like oh cool, everybody's on Twitter now. Yep. So. Yep. I yeah, we're all in a different bar now. Yeah, you guys, you guys all went to which happens to me just so often in my life, where everybody just gets up and goes. And oh, you guys went to that place. All right, I'll see you in ten minutes. Alex, what is your new Twitter handle? My new Twitter handle is at Alex James Fitz F I T Z. I am at Matt underscore Silverman, and I am at Evan Engel E N G E L. Come say hi. Let us know what you think of the show. We'll probably talk at you in two weeks. Yes.